all right? Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure you look a little lost? No, no, I, I'm just trying to hold on to all these bags, and I look down, and there's clothes and books and all these gifts and stuff, and, well, then I look up, and I realize it. I've lost hope. No! Oh, no, you haven't! You mustn't believe that! You can't believe that! Oh, no! Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, I just... He's lost hope! Lost hope? Yes! Look, I just... Come on, man! Fuck up! Fuck up? Buck up? That's all you've got? This man has lost hope! Bye-bye, hope! Adios! And all you have is buck up! What's going on? He's, He's lost, lost hope. hope. No. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Well, look, lost I... Lost hope, lost dreams, misplaced desires. We've all been there, my friend. When do we stop dreaming? When do we shut down the dream factory, lay off the workers, and send them home, lock the gate, and put the sign on the fence? When? I know of what you speak, for I, too, have lost something. No, no, not hope. Oh. I've lost my youthful idealism. Your youthful idealism? Yes. What are you, 1920? I lost it early. Listen, focus. We need to help this man. We need to give him some encouragement. Ah, hope springs eternal. Who said that? Shakespeare. No, I, I think it was Pope. The Pope. No, not the Pope. Pope. Alexander Pope. Oh, I thought it was Shakespeare. It was neither. It was either Oprah or Dr. Phil. Oh. <laughs> now, come on. What do we know about hope? We need to help him find hope. Right, you have to have hope. No, no, you have to have heart, not hope. You sure? Yes. Dante said, without hope, we live in desire. Who? Dante. Who's Dante? I don't know. I read it on a bumper sticker. Now, come on. Now, what do we know about hope? Well, we know hope floats. I saw that movie. Hope floats. Was that with Julia Roberts? Sandra Bullock. Are you sure? I don't know. There you are. Here you are. I have looked everywhere for you. Oh, thank goodness. Hi, Hope. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Well, did you get everything you needed? Oh, well, we can only uh, hope. <sighs> so, Sandra Bullock, I liked her in Runaway Bride. That was Julia Roberts. Are you yeah. sure? Yes, I liked her with the dancing and the That's I got bad news for you guys today. I was walking up the stairway up to the balcony where I worship a lot of times at 11 o'clock, and I looked down at my watch. And I don't know what's going on with my watch, but this is the scariest thing that can happen when you're in church. Because the minister's watch is, uh, is either slowed down or battery's going out or something. I have five minutes to 11. <laughs> Isn't that scary? You know, you're going you're to hear a guy give a talk and, and his watch is slow. Because 
Uh, well, I think I thought about it. It was a little story I used to hear about a guy who had like taken this new church and he wanted to make sure that his messages were like 25 minutes every week. And so he figured out that he could put a cert in his mouth while he was talking or breath mint and it would last about 25 minutes. So when the mint was going, it was time to shut the message down. And, but one day he preached for three hours. And, and, and it just freaked everybody out. And they couldn't figure out what was going on. They asked him about it. And he said, well, it's like this. He said, I reached into my pocket to get a mint and I got a button. <laughs> and so, so if I go past 10 to 12, I need somebody to just like wave their hand at me, you know. And I'll know that it's not just a spiritual moment. I know you're waving at me that it's 10 to 12. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're so glad you're here today. We're in a series called Dreams, and, and every message in this Christmas season is built around a verse of Scripture that Christians and God's people have loved for about 2,500 years. It's from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, so just get, let's get right into it. Take your Bibles if you have them, and if you, and if you don't, that's okay. These will be up on the IMAX screens. And by the way, there's a Bible for some of you in the pew in front of you if you want to grab that. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, the Bible says this, God talking, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And for, for, for like I say, hundreds of years, God's people have like held on to that particular verse. And some of you maybe have even claimed it as a life, ver- a life verse. And just in case you weren't here last week, let me just do a little bit of background. If I talk fast, will that make it go better? Okay. Um, just a little background about what, when this verse was written. Because a lot of people claim this verse, I think, I think don't fully understand it. Some people have the idea that just everybody can claim this verse, that God has plans for us for good and not for disaster. But we need to understand right out of the box that these people are people who are obedient to God. They have chosen to live their lives in a way that is pleasing to God. And it's it's born out in a particular situation. Let me just recreate that situation if I could for a moment. The time is about, mm, about 5600 BC, and the place is Judah. Judah is, is God's people. It's ground zero of God's people. The very capital of Judah is Jerusalem. So these are God's covenant people are in a covenant relationship with God. But they have so messed God around that for hundreds of years, as we're going to see in today's talk, God has been warning them, listen, straighten up or you're going to go into captivity. But they're thinking, hey, we have a God of love. We're in a covenant relationship. God won't let us suffer. But they just kept flipping God off. And finally, you know, God said, the time has come. When you get to Jeremiah, Jeremiah was having to give them the, the word, you've gone too far. There's no, there's no backing up now. Judgment's coming. And so here's what God said to these particular people. He said, you have a choice between life or death. If you want to choose life, then you must go willingly into captivity to the Babylonians. And that was a freaky message because the Babylonians were like the meanest people in the world. They were like the the most ungodly place, most ungodly kingdom. And for God to say, choose life, willingly go into captivity, they had a hard time understanding that. God said, if you stay in Jerusalem, it's going to be death because God said, I've determined I'm going to pour out my judgment on this city. So for the people who chose life, they willingly went off to Babylon. They became captives and they moved to Babylon. But as I said last week, they, they were dealing with what a lot of us find difficult to deal with. They were sitting by the phone. They were waiting for God to say, okay, I finished business in Jerusalem. Time to go home now. You've been in Babylon three weeks. That's enough. Come on back home. But God was wanting them to understand, and this all leads up to Jeremiah 29, 11. God wanted them to understand it wasn't going to be a short time there, but they were going to be there for a long time. And God said, here's the deal. Get married, have kids, find spouses for your kids, have grandkids, build homes, pray for the peace of Babylon, which, you know, every once in a while, someone will tell me, well, Mark, I don't like where I am. I don't like where I work. I, I just hate where I work. I remember one guy told me years ago, he said he, called, he worked at one of the plants here, and he said he called it the slime pits. And I remember thinking, my goodness, you have a job, you're getting a paycheck, 
probably a very good paycheck. By the way, it wasn't long after that that he got laid off. I remember that. But, you know, there are people that have that idea about where I work. I hate where I work. I hate the people where I work. And interestingly, God said to these people who were going into Babylon, the last place they want to be, God said, hey, work hard for its benefit. Pray for its peace. Because God says, if it prospers, you'll prosper. But just to back away from all that and get to the germ of where we need to be starting today's message, uh, God was saying to the people who were carried away from Judah to Babylon, God was saying, just function just function. Because life is often going to put us in a place where we don't want to be. We don't anticipate being there. It's not our dream. We had different dreams, and now all of a sudden, it seems like our dreams are never going to come true. We wind up in this place that we don't want to be, and yet God says to the people back then and to you and me, just function. In fact, in all these years of ministering and preaching, I don't think I have ever brought a talk that got down to two words faster than last week's talk. Because you guys have written me, you've, you've emailed me, I run into you around town. In fact, I was even in a high school this week, and one of the high school students said these two words to me. People say, just function. I mean, they see me coming and saying, just function. Because that's what last week's message was, right? God was saying, just function. Because, let me, let me ask you a question. When life goes south on us in a big way, what is it that we have a hard time doing? I've had people tell me, Mark, I don't, I don't even want to wake up in the morning. I have a hard time going to work. I have a hard time, you know, loving my family and being with him because things are just so painful for me. And yet God is saying, just function. You do what you do so he can do what he does. So let's just say, and by the way, I'm just piggybacking right where I left off last week. Remember, I told, I told you I wanted to go right on and deliver this message. So I'm just going to have a baton pass here, and, and we're going to pick right up where we left off. What happens if you bought into last week's message like many of you did? Suppose you determine that with God's help, you are going to just function. But suppose you've, you just function for a week and nothing changes. Suppose you just function for a month and nothing changes. <gasps> suppose you just function for a year and nothing changes. How do you keep functioning when God does not change the environment enough to where you feel like your dreams are coming true? I got a great lesson on this before I get before I get into talking about the story I want to bring to you. I got a great lesson from the NFL. I tell Mary all the times there are great lessons from the NFL, National Football League. I got this last year during the NFC playoff. The Giants, who had an inferior record, were having to play the Green Bay Packers at Frozen Lambeau Field. I mean, it just sounds legendary just saying the words, right? And it was one of those frigid days. For years, the Green Bay Packers have used their home field in January as, as an intimidation factor for any team that they place. My own Cowboys suffered a great heartbreak there in the late 60s in the so-called ice bowl. Frostbite, frigid temperatures. And the Giants had to play the Packers at Lambeau Field, and it was one of those days that was almost as cold as the ice bowl. I don't remember what the temperature was, but it was well below zero. The chill factor was breaking the thermometer, and those poor Giants guys had to come out and play. It was the Packers were all clapping stuff. Man, they got the upper hand. And, and so they played the first half. I don't remember what the score was, but by now the sun was going down at Lambeau Field, and it was really, really getting cold. And one of those sideline reporters was interviewing you know, the Giants team as they came out of the locker room. And I remember this one interviewer asked, I think it was Michael Strahan, she asked him, uh, what, did, what did the team talk about in the clubhouse about how to deal with the cold weather? And I remember his words because they really gave me a lot to think about as I got ready for this message. Michael Strahan said there was one sentiment in the locker room. It's this. We're in it, might as well win it. And you know the rest of the story, they did. In fact, I'll just tell you my personal opinion about last year's season. I think the Giants beat the Patriots in the game against Green Bay because of that very thing. It's cold, it's frigid, 
we're in it, we might as well win it. And I want to say to all of us here today, that's where life will put us in, some place life will put us in sometimes. Wouldn't it be tragic to be in a difficult circumstance, have to be in it, and then give up and not win it? So to all of us today, I want to say, if you're there, if you're in a place where your dreams are not coming true, you're in it, you might as well win it. But here's where we have to leave football behind. Because football is a game of mechanics. It's a, it's a game where you block, you tackle, you catch, you throw, you kick. That's football. But the life that you and I are living, we can't win it by making blocks and tackles. We are in spiritual warfare. We're, we're not fighting, the Bible says, against people. That's one of the most powerful lessons that any of us can learn today. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting spiritual warfare. And here's the deal. No matter how smart, how tough, how strong, how well-educated you are, you can't do it by yourself. When we talk about dreams coming true, you cannot do it by yourself. Here's what messes so many of us up, me included. We want our dreams to come true. We have this package of dreams that we hold on to, and we say, wow, this is what life, success, life at its successful would be. We have these dreams, and we say, wow, I'm going to work to make my dreams come true. But what happens? Frankly, many of our dreams don't come true. In fact, many times our dreams don't come true in a very painful way. Here's what all of us need to learn, and and please don't get up and leave, but I'm going to give you the sermon pretty much in one thought, okay? But here's the thought right here. Dreams, if you you want to have a life where your dreams come true, dreams must be a God plus you proposition. Now, it's, you know, I I come from a school of theology that's the term that we use was Calvinistic, and the idea is pretty much God predetermines what's going to happen. Now, God is sovereign, but I don't believe that like some people do. I mean, some people believe that if you chose a particular pair of socks out of your door today, God predetermined before you ever picked the socks which socks you were going to pick. God decides who goes to heaven. God decides who goes to hell. I don't believe that for a moment. See, God does have plans. So we read that. We saw that in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, this, this was our text last week. I mean, God says, I know the plans I have for you. So there's no doubt about it. God has plans. But in Psalm 37, the Bible says if we'll delight ourselves in God, he will make the desires of our heart come true. So what I draw from that is dreams, our dreams, are a God plus me proposition. He cares about the desires of your heart, but he also has plans. What did we learn last week? God says that he has plans for you. And in fact, he says he knows them because he knows he's already seen the future. That's why God is smiling. He's seen your future. He's smiling because of that. He says he knows the plans. Remember, plans means machinations or engineering. It may look like pieces on the ground to us, but God says, I know how all the engineering fits. God said, I know the plans for you. And here's what I didn't have time to get to, and I've been waiting to get to that this, this morning. God says they're plans to bring you good and not disaster. Disaster is one of the key words of Jeremiah. Over and over and over, God says disaster, disaster, disaster. But when God talks about his plans for us, he says they're plans for good and not disaster. Now, the word good there is a really, really cool word. It comes from a great Hebrew word, and you know it already. You didn't know you knew a Hebrew word, but you do. My guess is. What do, what do people of Hebrew background say when they greet each other? Shalom. That's right. That's the word. God says he has plans for you that are of shalom. What does shalom mean? Shalom means peace. How many of us would like to just wake up in the morning to peace, security, safety? And that is what God is saying. He says, I know the plans. I've already seen them. They're good plans. I've, I've engineered the plans. The plans that I have for you, they're for shalom. They're not for disaster. They're plans to give you peace in the future. We're in it. 
might as well win it, but we can't do it by ourselves. So what is it we need to know? If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to back up about 100 years before Jeremiah 29, 11, And we're going to read the story of a guy named Ahaz who was king over Judah, the very same country, 100 years before. Ahaz is a bad guy. Ahaz has screwed up his life so many different ways that when he dies, eventually they will not bury him among the kings because he just messed up his life so badly. But God is still trying to work in his life. How many of you are happy today that God works with people who have screwed their lives up, right? Whoa, I'm raising both hands on that one. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just, see, some people have this idea that, boy, if you're really a good person, God cares about you. If you're a bad person, if you're an atheist, an agnostic, or whatever, if you're sleeping around, God didn't care about you. <laughs> so wrong. Here was a guy whose life was so messed up, and God was pleading with him to let him come in and work in his life. You can read about Ahaz, and this is in chapter 1, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Um, the Bible says that when Ahaz was king, there were two powers, this is in verse 2, that had come against him to destroy him. Now, real quickly, let's talk about Ahaz for a moment. His name means one who clutches or one who grasps. Have you ever known anybody that their whole idea about making their dreams come true is they're always grabbing at stuff? They're always trying to like, frantically trying to make things work. Some of you work for somebody like that. Some of you have a mother-in-law like that. Some of you just, (laughs) it's holiday season. I'll just throw that one in, all right? Some of you, you just, you know somebody that's like, whatever, what do they do? They're always engineering things to come out their way, and they're grabbing all the time, grabbing, and they're never happy. Well, that's who Ahaz was. Ahaz was king, but he was a clutcher. He was a grabber. He wanted things to come out his way. He wanted to make things work. But life wasn't working. He had two nations on his northern border laying siege to his country, threatening to destroy them. One of those nations was Syria. Not surprising. The Syrians were one of the chief nemesis of, um, of Israel. But the other one ripped his guts out. Yeah, after all, this is Judah. Who, who were Judah? They were Jewish people. The other nation was Israel. These are his brothers. These are people from the same nationality. How many of us have experienced something? I mean, it's one thing to have your enemies out to get you. It's something else to have your friends join up with your enemies to attack you. It's one thing to have people who hate you out to get you. It's something else to have your family, someone in your family, ally with your enemies. That's tough. And so here is Ahaz in the meantime, and and God wants to talk to him. There's a preacher, there's a prophet there named Isaiah, and God is like ginning up this prophet to go talk to Ahaz. But being the clutcher and the grabber that he is, Ahaz has gone over to the Assyrians, who are the meanest people in the world. He has gone over to the Assyrians, and, and under the table he's trying to make a deal with the Assyrians for them to come help him deal with the Syrians and the Israelites. And guys, let me just tell you, I know that's old history, and it may not connect with you until I say this. As I said a few moments ago, your dreams are a God and you proposition, and you can't make them come true by yourself. But you know, when we leave God out of the picture, what is it that we start doing? We start trying to find something to help us. And here's the deal. Anything, listen please, if I ever told you anything that is worth listening to, you need to listen to this. Anything that you depend on instead of God, if it does help you, you'll become a slave to it. Ahaz depended upon the Assyrians. And sure enough, they came and helped him. But from that point on, he became a vassal to the Assyrians. And they actually, in fact, you will read about this. King Ahaz had to go to the temple and take the gold instruments of the temple and give it to the Assyrians to basically pay pay protection. 
Some of us, in order to get our dreams to come true, we say, wow, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to have to have the right people in my life. So we kiss up to people we don't even like. We, we try to be what people want us to be, and we've long since forgotten who we are because we have to be everything to everybody so that they will come and help us and our dreams will come true. How many of us have discovered that if you do that, you become a slave to those people? You can't be who you are anymore. You've been so many things to so many people, you don't even know who you are when you look in the mirror anymore. Yeah, they came and helped you with this little project, but now the benefit of that is long gone, and now you're a slave to them. We live in a nation that goes for inebriance. In order to face today, some of us use alcohol and use too much alcohol. And yeah, for a little while we feel good and we're able to face things. But what happens? We become a slave to the alcohol. Some of us, you know, we take medication. We take drugs that are not appropriate for us or take too much. And yeah, we can function for a while, but then we become slaves to this. And God was saying to Isaiah, go talk to King Ahaz and tell him he doesn't need to depend upon the Assyrians. I want to help him. Now, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, it's okay. These will be up on the screens. But this is really cool. I mean, when the people found out that both Syria and Israel were allied together, the Bible says the king and all the people were shaking like trees in the storm. Boy, if any state knows about trees shaking in the wind, we know about it here in Kansas, don't we? Every once in a while, I'll watch the Weather Channel. You know what the Weather Channel is. That's the MTV for old people. And, and, and I always see some, you know, frightened voice anchor at the Weather Channel that's talking about some storm in Nebraska, or, or not Nebraska, but in, you know, in Oregon, say, or Washington State. And they'll say, oh, they have this thunderstorm, and they're having wind gusts of 50 miles an hour. I'm thinking, we can have wind gusts of 50 miles an hour on a clear day here. <laughs> but if you saw the wind the last couple of days, the way it was shaking the trees, that's how these people were. They were going to pieces because they have two powers, Israel and Syria, on their north border. Now, God comes along and says to Isaiah, I love this. This is in chapter 7, verse 4. God says, tell them, stop worrying. Oh, I hear that. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but I will. How many of you are like me and you're a warrior? I am. Listen, I am the world's biggest warrior. I worry about stuff. Listen, I'm getting so old. I, I, I think to myself, I fantasize about something. I think I would so much like to have back the days that I wasted worrying about stuff that never materialized. Wouldn't you? But God said, tell him to stop worrying. I find it interesting that God didn't say, Isaiah, go tell the king that I have this 12-step program. <laughs> I mean, God said, tell him to stop. Stop worrying. See, worry is a sin. You know, I, I'm one of these, I, always, I am one of these white-collar sinners. You know, I, wouldn't, I, I don't commit adultery. I don't abuse. But, but worry is a sin in my life. Just, just keeping it real here. You give me a scenario, I'll tell you what to worry about. <laughs> if I don't have anything to worry about, I'll worry about that. <laughs> Anybody else here like me thinking, well, it can't be that good. <laughs> what, what, what's the deal with worry? Worry is like playing a video in our minds. It's a horror flick about what could happen in our lives. And God is saying, shut the video machine off. You know what? If you and I can worry, we can pray. Instead of fearing what's going to happen, just talk to God about it. Say, God, I really would rather this not happen. But God, God said to Isaiah, the pastor, go tell the king, stop worrying. Stop the video. Stop playing the video of all the things that could happen that aren't going to happen. And the second thing he says, tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers. 
This is huge. I wish I knew how to preach. If I did, I'd tell you what this means. This is so exciting. Because, you know, who are these two? God's, one of this great colorful language, God says two burned out embers. He's talking about two kings that are sitting on his north border. What colorful language. God is saying is, the way I'm looking at these, these are burned out embers. What is a burned out ember? It's a wood, piece of wood that's finished. And here's what God is saying to the king of Israel. He is saying, what is big to you is not big to me. See, what God was calling Ahaz to understand was the bigness of God, the bigness of God. Every once in a while, you know, I'll, hear, I'll be watching television, I'll be watching some sort of secular type talk about us people of faith. And by the way, I hate the term people of faith. It makes me want to kick something hard. But I hear this expression, you know, people, be, especially these sort of breathy people, you know, talking heads on television, they'll be talking about during this time of year, people count on their faith to get them through. They, 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 they have their faith to rely on. Guys, let me tell you something here today. I'm not trying to be hard about this, but I want you to understand, I'm not counting on my faith. I mean, the reason why they say that a lot of times, these are secular people who really don't believe there's a God, and they're figuring that there's some sort of psychiatric, psychological benefit in thinking that there may be so. Basically, they're patting us on the knee and saying, we are people who depend on our faith. But I want you to understand today, I am not depending upon my faith. I am depending upon my God. My faith is just my way of depending upon him. That has nothing to do with the message today. I'm just pouring out frustration, all right? (laughs) Well, God says to Isaiah, go tell the king he doesn't need to be worried about these guys because I have them taken care of. Now, maybe you're not a person of faith here today, and I'm so glad you're here. But you can be here today and you say, well, well, Mark, you know, it's just like Cleopatra. You guys are the queen of denial. I mean, you guys live in denial. You religious people, you just really don't see the facts. Well, look at what God says next in verse 5. God says, yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him. But then God says later on in the same chapter, this will never take place. So here's the thing. God understands the realities in your life that are threatening you. God said, I I know you have two kings out to get you. I'm not in denial here. God's just saying it ain't going to happen. Because why? Because God knew the plans that he had. He'd already seen them. There were machinations. There was engineering that God was putting in place. And God is saying, I know these are plans for shalom. They're not plans for disaster. You don't need to worry. You don't need to go to pieces. Wow. That's huge in my life. I don't know if it is in yours. Because just, just as I said a few moments ago, I can go to pieces with the best of them. I can worry. I can fret. You know, because I've worked so hard to make my dreams come true. And then when it falls apart, I'm thinking, where is God? But guys, I want to give you one of the most important things I'm going to give you in my talk today. If you still have Isaiah 7 open, if you'll look at the last part of verse 9, here's what God says, and we need to hear it. God says, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Ooh. See, I think many of us have this idea, well, you know, this is American Christianity. We're kind of soft and weak compared to other generations. We feel like, well, we can go to pieces here, and then God's going to come along and scoop us up and make everything work. But listen to what God is saying. God is saying, if your faith isn't strong, I can't make you stand strong. See, God is awesome. He can do impossible things. But there is one thing. Did you see the word cannot in there? There's one thing God cannot do, and is God cannot make you have faith. God cannot trust him for you and me. That is our part. That is what we do. And God is saying, unless your faith is strong, I can't make you stand strong. In effect, what God is saying to the people of Judah is, give me something to work with here. 
I mean, think about this. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a particular town that he went to, and the Bible says he couldn't do any miracles there because of their unbelief. In effect, their lack of trust limited Jesus' power to work there. God works in a climate of faith. Hey, if you have your Bible with you today, you can sum up what God does in one word, and that's the word grace. Grace means God gives. You can sum up your responsibility and my responsibility in one word, and that's faith. That's trust. Grace happens in a climate of faith. When we trust God, God works. And God was saying to Isaiah, go tell the king to give me something to work with here. I can't make him stand strong if he doesn't have faith. People sometimes say to me, well, Mark, if God would just prove himself to me, then I would believe. Let me tell you something. Please, please, please. If God proved himself to you, it's the worst thing he could possibly do to you. Because the only thing that you and I have to offer God is our faith. And if he made it proof to us, we wouldn't have faith anymore. We would be, as the Bible says, going by sight. So what is the one opportunity we have to please God? It's when things are not going well to put our confidence in him. And God is saying to Mark, give me something to work with. He's saying to you, give me something to work with. Give me some faith. Give me some confidence. I know things look like they're going south, but you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about those two burned-out embers in your life. Give me something to work with. And I don't mean to stand up here before you today talking like I'm some sort of spiritual expert. Guys, let me tell you, this is the biggest issue in my life. This is the biggest challenge that Mark faces. Wow. Wow. Well, God knew that Ahaz was going to struggle with this, and so he asked him to do something. He doesn't always ask us to do this, but he asked him. In verse 11, God says to Ahaz, ask for a sign. I know you're you're struggling to believe this. So God says, ask for a sign. And this is really cool. You can look at the text. God said, ask big. Ask big. You can ask for something as high as heaven, Ahaz, or as low down as the deep, but just ask big. I, I want you to have faith in me, God is saying. Ask big. But look at what Ahaz does in verse 12. He said, no, I won't test the Lord like that. You know, some people are just more spiritual than God. (laughs) You ever run into one of these hyper-religious people, you know? You just sort of like see stained glass and hear organ music when they come around. (laughs) Just drive me nuts. God said, Ahaz, hey man, ask me. Ask me big. I'm a big God. Ask for something big. Highest heaven if you want to. Ahaz is saying, no, I don't want to tempt God. What did, you know, every once in a while somebody will say, well, Mark, I don't want to ask God for too much stuff because I don't want to trouble him. Do you realize that when you and I don't, listen, please, please, please. When you and I don't ask God for stuff that's as big as he is, he gets insulted. And that's what happened. Isaiah said to the king, listen, basically Isaiah was saying, hey, you're you're upsetting me, man. He's saying, is it enough that you exhaust human patience? Are you trying to exhaust the patience of God Almighty? When I was getting ready for the series, I was going through a little bit of insecurity because I thought, well, this is not exactly a Christmas series. We don't have any mangers. We got some lights, but they're not Christmas lights on the stage. And so I thought, wow, is this really a Christmas series? And I was working on this message, and I forgot where I was. I I, I didn't think about where I was in the Bible. And I was reading, and I was studying, and I got to this place where God was so upset with Ahaz for not asking for something big. I rounded the corner, and I hit verse 14, which is one of the mountain peaks of the Bible. Because here's what God said to the king. If you want to ask for something big, I'll show you big. A virgin will have a baby. 
and we'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. God would say, hey, you puny little king. You want him to ask me for a, little, for a sign? Let me show you what big is. Let me show you what kind of God I am. If I want to, I can bring my son into this world through a virgin. And every once in a while, somebody will say to me, you know, secular type will say, well, hey, man, that's impossible. Hence the whole idea. That's what, that's what God's point. God knows it's impossible. He's saying this king, listen, you, 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 think, you think this is big. Let me show you big. If I want to, I can bring my son into the world. He can live a perfect life. He can die on a cross. He can rise again from the dead three days later. He can ascend back up into heaven. And he can rule as king of kings and lord of lords and come back to this earth, which, earth, which by the way, I'm looking for. God, let me show, God said, let me show you big. Ask big. Guys, I, what time is it? It's, I have 11.25, okay? <laughs> well, let me give you this quickly, because here's the deal. Every once in a while, there's some of us who say, okay, I've heard that ask big stuff before, and I asked God for something, and he didn't do it. And so I don't think there's anything to it. But it's in the Word. John 14, verse 13 says, whatever you will, ask in my name, and I'll do it that the Father may be glorified. And then Jesus said, whatever you ask, verse 14, he said, I'll do it. James said, we don't have because we don't ask. But then he goes into this, and this is what I want to get to today. This is something God really showed me about my own prayer life. See, God said, ask for what? And he said, make the what as big as you want to. Ask for what you want. Well, what I discovered about my own prayer life is that I characterize the request like I'm asking for what, but really what I'm trying to do is tell God how I want it done. Let me give you a foolish illustration of this. Every once in a while, somebody will tell me they did this. You go down to Quick Trip, buy a lottery ticket. And I've, told, I've heard people tell me, I stood there in quick trip with the lottery ticket in my hand, and I said, God, would you let me win the lottery? <laughs> that is a good way to lose a dollar or whatever lottery tickets cost. But let's just take that person for a moment. Here's a person who prays, God, let me win the lottery. Is that a what, or are we telling God how? Work with me for a moment. Suppose you won the lottery. Suppose that was you. Suppose you won the lottery, but they said you can't collect the money. Well, you won the lottery. Well, that wouldn't be what I asked for. Well, suppose you got to keep the money, but the rule was you couldn't spend it on yourself. That might be a little better, but that's still not what I asked for. Suppose they said, okay, you can collect the money, you can spend it on yourself, but you're going to die tonight at 6 o'clock. You see what I'm saying? What we're really asking for there is we're saying, God, I need money to pay my bills. I need financial security here. I need some financial help. That's the what. But see, when we ask God to let us win the lottery, we're telling him how to fulfill what we're asking for. And I find that that's that's a foolish illustration, but I find it's true in many other ways in my life. Let's take it to, to very poignant. Somebody we love gets a prognosis that's terminal. And I've done this. I've prayed. I said, God, please let this person live. I mean, I've prayed before God and, and cried before God for people that I've loved who were terminal. And I said, God, please let them live. Sounds like a what, doesn't it? But what I'm really telling God to do is, is how, because what I really want is I want that person to be okay. What if God chooses to make that person okay in heaven? See, what I've asked, I, 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 it sounded like a what, but I was really telling God how. Here's the deal. If I ask God for what, he's my God. If I tell him how, he's my slave. God won't be anybody's slave. 
So in, in, with that in mind, I, I began to refine my prayer request and really think about it. But, but once you get to that place that you know what it is that you're asking for, God is saying, ask big. Ask big. Because you and I have a great God in our lives. Think about the problems that are getting to you right now. What are the things that are happening in your life? And many of you talk to me about these. What are the things that are happening in your life right now that are threatening your dreams? Do you realize the same God who sent Jesus into this world is working on your problems? He knows the plans that he has for you. They're plans for shalom. If you'll obey him, he's got plans for shalom. God said, don't worry. Don't fear those things that are already burned out. Don't fear those things. You know, what you fear, God doesn't fear. God says, ask big. Keep functioning. Hey, you're in it. You might as well win it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us get together today. Thank you for your word. Father, I've tried to be honest with these people in all three services that I I struggle here, Lord, and you know I do, but I don't want to. I want to be an overcomer. Help me, Lord. Help all of us, especially those of us who are prone to worry. Lord, please help us. And let us know that we're not by ourselves, that if we're willing to invite you in, our dreams become a God God in us proposition. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, still pray with me for just one more minute. A few moments ago, I said you can sum up human responsibility in one word, and that word is trust. Every weekend, I ask you if you've ever had a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've ever known him. It's so important to know him because the Bible says in Jesus Christ we have eternal life, we have forgiveness of sins, we have a relationship with God. It's so big that Jesus called it being born again. How do you get that? I mean, you get it from joining a church, not. You say, Mark, I got it because when I was a baby, my parents baptized me. Well, that's nice. But there's nothing in the Bible about that. Nothing. What does God want from you? What does the Bible say? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Believing is trusting. Acts 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Over and over, if you'll believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What is it that God wants from you? You say, does he want me to do community service? Does he want me to be religious? Does he want me to be a better person? <laughs> no. What God wants is for you to trust him. The Bible gives us this simple message. God loved you. Jesus died as a payment for your sins. He died, he rose from the grave, he lives in heaven today, and anybody who will put confidence in him, the Bible says God will transform that person. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to give money. (laughs) I'm asking you to put confidence in Jesus, to trust him as your savior. I'm gonna pray a prayer, and it's just a prayer of reaching out to God. These aren't magic words. Really, God's just looking for a big yes. But if you're willing to ask Christ into your life today, he will come in. And I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you want to pray it with me, you're welcome to do it. I'll pray it slowly so that you can think about the words. You ready? Here we go. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't pay for my sin. But I believe you died for me. I believe your blood paid for my sin. 
I believe in you. Forgive me. Save me. I turn from my old way of life. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I will follow you. Thank you for keeping your word to me and saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, wow, Mark, I don't know what just hit me. I just prayed that prayer so fast. Well, I know that, and, and I prepared something for you. I got a packet. It looks like leather. It's not. It's just vinyl. But on the inside of it, there's some really cool stuff. There's some great DVDs and, and stuff that will help you know what you've just done. It's free. It will not cost you anything. It's just my gift to you. If you'd like to have it, if you prayed to receive Christ, just do a couple things. There's a part of your worship folder that's detachable. What time is it? It's 1131. just want you to know that. If you put your name on there and address, check the box that says you prayed to receive Christ. If you'll drop in the offering bags, the boxes by the back doors. If you're in the gallery, the balcony, the boxes at the bottom of the stairways. If you'll drop it there, I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me and you can't wait for anything, that's how I am. You don't have to wait. If you've got a few extra minutes, I'm going to point right through those two metal doors. There's two zones beyond those doors called guest services and New Spring Store. All you have to do is bring your card to one of those two places. You don't have to make a speech or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark. Give them this, and they will give you this, and take it home with you today. All right, we're going to ask the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. In just a moment, I'm going to show you what's going on at New Spring Church. But before I do, just a couple things. I cannot wait for next week. I wish I could start the message right now. It's called The Nightmare Before Christmas. Trust me, it's the greatest sermon I've ever preached in my career, all right? I can't wait to get started. Nightmare Before Christmas next weekend. 